finish anyway, I don't think, so that'll, that'll be the way that is. Let's stand and we'll read uh, a text here in the First Kings chapter 14. We're going to look at chapter 14, the end of that, and then the beginning of uh, chapter 15. <clears throat> here come some. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> First Kings 14. <clears throat> Stand as we read God's word. It's beginning of verse 21. Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the... Ammonite and Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all that their fathers had done for they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree and there were also male cult prostitutes in the land they did according to the, all the abominations of the nations that dr- the Lord drove out before the people of Israel <clears throat> And in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually, and Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite, and Abijam his son reigned in his place. Be seated. Uh what we have here in uh, Kings, and it'll happen with Chronicles 2, is kind of a back and forth, a lot of overlap. So we'll read where Jeroboam died, and then uh, so-and-so took his place, and then uh, then, uh, then we'll get to the kings, the southern tribes. We'll, we'll start studying kings that were alive during Jeroboam's reign. Uh, so you have to kind of keep all that uh, before you, and uh, it's not always easy, but you have to kind of, Think about what's going on there. But that just to give you an idea of what's happening here, so you know. Uh, last week, though, and of course, the, the, I entitled the message, uh, Imperfect Yet Godly Asa, and we probably won't even get to Asa today, but anyway, we'll get to it. Uh, we saw Jeroboam, uh, so you saw, uh, we talked about Jeroboam and the idolatry he set up last week, and then this week, you know, he... T- uh, the writer re- goes back to Rehoboam and kind of talks about him that was coinciding with Jeroboam, uh, you know, back and forth. So that gives you an idea of how the book is written. Well, we saw that Jeroboam looks at the Lord as being as weak as his servant. Remember, he had his wife disguise herself thinking that somehow the servant of the Lord who was blind wouldn't recognize her. But, of course, the problem is the servant of the Lord had... Uh, had uh, insight from God. But uh, Jeroboam makes that mistake because he's an idolater, so what do you expect? 
Uh, we cannot decide what God is like, what God we prefer. It is the God of the Bible that we must take seriously, how he reveals himself. And of course, many people today are making that mistake to their peril in many cases where, you know, God loves everybody. God is not a God of wrath. There's many churches where wrath is not even to be mentioned, the wrath of God or anything like that. Well, you you can uh, deny what the Bible teaches, but at some point it's going to catch up with you, just as it does with Jeroboam. When we have his word, we have all the light we need to serve him, just like this prophet did who couldn't see with his eyes, yet he knew who was what was going on. He knew that it was the wife of Jeroboam because the Lord had already given him that insight. And mostly we, we saw in our scene how seriously the Lord looks at sin. In this case, a child, Jeroboam's child dies. His whole line will eventually be wiped out. Not for just the human weakness, the human condition of sin, but deliberate idolatry. I mean, how many times has the Lord spoken to Jeroboam, done miracles for Jeroboam, and Jeroboam doesn't care. He's, he's going to serve what, whom he will, and for that, his whole line will be wiped out. And so, um, here in the uh, chapters 14 and 15, we will see uh, this this overlap of studies. We'll go to the northern tribes, what's going on up there. Then, while that's going on, here's what's happening in the south. And while that's going on, here's what's going on in the north. And uh, these two chapters will cover the reigns of the two kings of Judah and seven kings of Israel <clears throat> during that time. Because we'll see here... Again, we won't get to it this week probably, but uh, there were several kings in Israel that didn't reign very long. One just reigned for a week uh, because there was a lot of assassinations and just a lot of you know corruption and, and things going on there. Because the Lord wasn't uh, trying, wasn't helping them, of course, to exist anyway. And so, <clears throat> uh, we. we we have in a side of part of chapter 14 about 60 years in the life of Judah uh, under the reign of Rehoboam and then uh, going into chapter 15 Abijam his son and then Asa which was his brother uh, because Abijam only lasted about three years that he died and so Asa's brother uh, took to, began to reign we'll read some of that uh, maybe at some point um Rehoboam inherits, of course, what's sad about this is he inherits the kingdom from Solomon, his father, that was the strongest among the nations, the richest among the nations. Uh, and yet, there's this big neon uh, light here, and if you read the account in Second Chronicles, that if you don't have God's blessing, it doesn't matter how strong you are, it doesn't matter what's going on, things will fall apart really quickly because, of course, we... The, the Lord is the one who gives success. And uh, Rehoboam was, isn't considered to be an evil king in some ways. He, but he, gave, he was an idolater, but he also gave lip service to the Lord. Uh, he, you know, he, he tried to serve both. And so he's overall considered to be a wicked king, but not as bad as some. But uh, the Lord is not... That's not going to do the nation any good. And we, that's what we see here. Uh, and the first big hint is in reference to his mother that we uh, read there in chapter 14. 
He's obviously influenced by her. She was, remember, a, a, one of the marriages of Solomon. She was a daughter of an Ammonite. She was an idolater. Eventually, when Asa becomes king, she's his grandmother, and he removes her from any uh, any power, any public life, because he, she, he knows she's wicked. But uh, Rehoboam and his son Abijam uh, are heavily influenced by her. They can't say no to her, and they help she helps lead the uh, country into idolatry. And uh, so, again, just something that we want to remember, that doesn't matter who it is, even if it's your own mother, if she's telling you to do something wrong, if she's a bad influence, you've got to be on guard against that. And Because and, the Lord is not going to give excuses. Because you say, well, you know, my, it's my mother, i got to honor her. Well, no, not if it means dishonoring the Lord. Uh, she has become an idol. Right? <clears throat> so, everything has its, uh, yes, we are honor our parents, but we don't honor them in that which would be wicked, right? And so, uh, we read about the king of Egypt who comes up, and uh, because Rehoboam is uh, not serving the Lord wholeheartedly, and he doesn't ask the Lord for help anyway until after it's too late, which uh, First or Second Chronicles tells us, the king of Egypt comes up, and he basically can walk into the temple and, and take away all the riches of the kingdom. And so Rehoboam uh, has to make uh, cheaper copies of those things. <clears throat> uh, yet we do read that Rehoboam does ask the Lord for help, and the Lord does hear him, and uh, the Egyptians eventually leave. But but that in itself is is weird and sad because here Rehoboam recognizes that his gods don't help him. He asks God to help him. God answers his prayer, but Rehoboam still allows the idolatry to continue. And so he left stunned at why they would do something like that. So in one generation, Israel goes from being one of the most glorious and strong countries to one of the most weakest, uh, robbed of much of its wealth. And I think that speaks to the Lord's power as much as anything. I mean, it speaks to sin, the results of sin, but it just shows that how easily the Lord can remove a king, can rise up a king, can remove power, can remove wealth. He's in charge of this thing. And to see Solomon's kingdom collapse in one generation in just a matter of 20, 30 years is an amazing thing to see the Lord work. But it's, it's a, it speaks to us, right? That um, you know, the Lord, in, in, we don't live under this covenant in the sense we've got to be careful that the Lord can bring calamity upon the most godly of saints. And, and the Lord can allow the most evil, or the most weakest saints, let's, let's keep it among the saints, the, the weakest saints can seem to do very, can, can prosper in the Lord's hand. But he's the one doing it. And it's for his purposes. So we can't judge Rehoboam we can't judge one another like we would judge Rehoboam because he, we live under a different covenant. But what to remember, the point then for us to remember is that the Lord does this at his will. He can do it all and Lord's in, in charge of this. And we can take hope in that and we can rest in that and, uh, and it can, can continue on. And so in verse 24 of chapter 14, it says um, that under Rehoboam's reign, 
there was a ashram under every hill and under every high priest, and there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. And so, thanks to his mother's influence, you've got something here a very interesting. Just give us a little insight into what God is doing. It's not that God expects perfection and uh, that he just is looking for things to condemn. This was some awful things going on. I mean, Israel has always been, you know, sin, a sinful nation. You know, what nation isn't? They're always, there's always sinners. But this idolatry was going uh, way beyond anything that uh, the Lord could ignore. <clears throat> and so, um, if you have the KJV, or I think a lot of the other translations, the term male uh, temple prostitute, cult prostitute, is in, in the original, it's just sodomite. That's what, this is what, this is, this is what's going on. It wasn't just idolatry. It was, it was the worst of the perversion, uh, you know, in, in, in this particular case. And so it reminds us of just how merciful the Lord is that he's not just wiping them out for this. So something that, that they knew was wrong. Look over to Hosea. I'm going to read a few verses in chapter 4 there. Gives you an idea. This, of course, was a few, was a few, uh, generations later, but Hosea gives us a little insight into just what was going on. When we read about the idolatry, you know, we tend to maybe just pass it over as idols. You know, they're just, they're worse than being a piece of wood. Well, yes, but there was a lot of other things going on as well. And it, it would, again, we need to remember that. So in Hosea chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 6. <clears throat> My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And, and that's good for a preacher. I, you know, I take that to heart. That in this case, the people were in trouble because of a lack of knowledge. It is responsibility of leadership to teach the people. To, to make sure the word of God uh, is accessible. Because we perish. We, we don't do well. We don't know God's word. And since you have forgotten the law of your Lord, I will also forget your children. Well, wow. That's mean of God. You know, you're, he's just gonna wipe them out and forget them. Well, verse seven, the more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall, and it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways. And repay them for their evil deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord. To cherish what? Whoredom. Wine. New wine. To take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood. And their walking staff becomes an oracle. So they've replaced me with trinkets and, and wooden objects. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. And of course, this is uh, often a double meaning, because it is in whoredom, we saw again with the sodomites, the cult prostitutes, they were committing spiritual adultery as they committed physical adultery. It was part, parts of the same thing. You worship Baal, 
in these gods through uh, sexual activity. Verse 13, they sacrifice at the top of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. Again, it's not that there was an idol underneath those high places, those shade trees. There might have been. It was what they were doing as an act of worship to the gods that he's talking about here. Verse 14. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. There's that word again. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. So, because they don't know any better, to some degree, you know, this is the, 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 the ones, the priests, were not teaching the people properly and so forth. So, though you play the whore, O Israel, I will let not Judah become guilty, enter into Gilgal, nor go up to Bethaven, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? And this was geared more towards the northern tribes. But just, you know, read that because it gives you an idea that this isn't just, you know, we struggle with idolatry as Christians, but this is not struggling with, you know, the Lord's place in your life. This is overt disobedience and uh, going after other gods in the most wicked of ways. So, Hosea is kind of like a camcorder, just walking around showing you the deplorable condition with Baal worship. And these debauched practices were made worse because in them they were asking the false gods to take care of them. What they were doing was not bad enough. It was an act of worshiping other gods. And so it couldn't have been a more in-your-face kind of idolatry. And so how could Yahweh not be jealous? You know, how could he not judge them, uh, and bring calamity upon them. First of all, because that's what the covenant dictated that they had made, uh, but because they were uh, openly doing this. And so, um, again, uh, well, I turned away to Hosea chapter 4, the very first verse, I think has connection to our text. In chapter 4 it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, there is no faithfulness nor steadfast love, for no knowledge of God is in the land. And I, I, there's a connection there, because the, because of that, the Lord is going to dispossess them from the land, because you are not worshiping the God who gave it to you. And of course, land was the salvation God gave to Israel. It was the inheritance. It was the it was the, the big reward for keeping covenant with God. They had a land of peace, a land flowing with milk and honey. So to be dispossessed of, from the land was a result of not keeping covenant. And of course it all reminds us that we need a better covenant. That Israel is a object lesson of why, you know, if, if, it, if, if it's, it can't be left up to us to obey God because we can't do it. We need the new covenant, we need Jesus to obey for us and to impart his spirit to us, or we'll end up just like the Israel was. Then, again, in, in, along with that, in chapter uh, 15, uh, the uh, word used for idols also kind of lets us know what the Lord thinks about all this and what's going on here. Uh, the word idol 
comes from a Hebrew word that, you know, loosely uh, spoken would be uh, a gil, gilu. Uh, it, and it, it, those who know Hebrew well say that it sounds a lot like the law, which means dumb. There's a play on words there. And so the word for idol has that connection. Well, uh, it's, it's in all likelihood that's where the term for the devil that we have Beelzebub comes from that same idea because they would call Baal Beelzebul, which means Lord of the house. But the Israelites, back when they were not worshiping Baal, would call Baal Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. And of course, if you've ever read Lord of the Flies, you know, that's a whole other issue. But uh, it was uh, the Jews, uh, when they would translate this into Greek later on, called it Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Dung. And of course, there was a connection there because you know, if you see a pile of that stuff, it's not long before there's flies all over, right? So they thought that in some way that produced flies. So there's a connection there with flies and dung. So uh, they they called that in derision. And that's what the name of, one of the names of Satan later on, Beelzebub, the Lord of Dung. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a, of derision. But uh, th- this is who they're worshiping. And and what's going on here now? So we saw in verse 25 that the king of Egypt, Shishak's plunder, was a, a warning of things to come if they didn't repent. And he does repent. Rehoboam does repent. If you could read the Second Chronicles account. But it's short-lived. It's just to get him out of the immediate trouble. And what's so weird about, or I should, you know, it's not really unusual, but for Rehoboam is that he, as soon as uh, the Lord delivers him, you know, and, and things get back to normal, then he gets back to normal. So he's worshiping Yahweh, because it says he, he replaced the uh, temple things with cheaper copies. He, he still, it, it, remember it talked about him going in whenever he used these things, whenever he went into the Lord's house. He still got the pretense of worshiping Yahweh. While he's worshiping all these other things, the Lord of the Dung, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, uh, it's a pretense. He doesn't understand who God is. He, there's no real worship here. It's just religion. I was reading about, <clears throat> back in 1973, there was a large church of about 2,000 people in Hollywood, which explains a lot of this. And uh, they were dispensational. That is, they believed that the, the rapture was going to take place and uh, the saved were going to leave. And they began to worry. They, they assumed that most of the leadership would probably uh, be caught up during the rapture, but they kind of felt that probably a lot of the people would not be caught up. And so they they reworked their constitution uh, of how they were going to govern themselves and what to do once the rapture took place so the church could continue. And you're thinking, well, what's going on here? Do you not understand what's who you are and what's, what's, what the purpose of the church is? Uh, if, if, if the church is mostly intact after the rapture, uh, you've got bigger problems you need to be dealt with. It's just like, it's just, it, 
They were more concerned about the organization than about the souls of these people, right? It was just kind of a stunning thing. They're just missing the point. And that's kind of what Rehoboam, he's going to the house of worship, but he doesn't know what it is to worship God. He liked the traditions. He liked being in the land. He liked the pomp. He liked being king, no doubt. But he didn't have any clue about what he's doing. I don't want us to come to church or to live the Christian life, and we really don't know what's going on. We we, we think Christianity is is a, a cultural thing, you know, and it it's just a way of life. Well, it is a way of life, but it's something more than that. It is about getting right with God. It is about being uh, well involved with His Holy Spirit and and getting to know God and learning to worship God and to live for God. And it's not coming to church and you know having potluck. And organ and, and, and meetings and activities, it's about God. And sometimes we just you could completely lose track of what is really going on. And then, of course, the chapter ends, as all these chapters will, when it comes to the life of these priests. In verse thirty-one, and Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother it repeats again. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. And Abijam, the son, reigned in his place. No matter what Rehoboam's done, um, he's died. And because he wasn't a servant of the Lord, uh, we move on to the next one. He considered a wicked king. And because he's a wicked king, uh, we don't spend a lot of time with all his whatever accomplishments he had. We move on to the next. And just a reminder that... There's that, again, that affiliation with his mother. Rehoboam is known primarily because he couldn't say no to his mother. He couldn't say no to her idolatry. And uh, so he's racked up as a bad king in Judah, and that's the end of it. And that brings us then to chapter 15. And uh, in the first eight verses, we have that about Abijam. And it's, there's something similar going on here. And now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. And uh, so you see that overlap. So in 18 years after Jeroboam became king, Rehoboam dies and Abijam, his son, becomes king. And he'll reign uh, and die. And then uh, Asa will take his place all while Jeroboam is king, right? <clears throat> so verse 2 says, He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maekah, the daughter of Abishalom. And she, he walked in all the sins that his fathers did before him. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. So you find this these two different comparisons all the way through the book. Either you worship you, you, you uh, worshipped and led like Jeroboam and committed all the sins Jeroboam committed. So, in other words, you were pretty much like Jeroboam. Now, next week, when we get to Ahab, we'll find that Ahab was actually worse than Jeroboam. So, he kind of stands out as being worse than all the other kings. So, you're either compared to Jeroboam and leading into idolatry, or in the case, in all the northern kings, None of them are good. None of them are, do really anything good and all die like that. They all describe like that. 
But in, in the South, you, you had that sometimes. Then you also had, well, he did worship the Lord, and his heart was holy uh, towards the Lord, as David was. And that's what Asa will be like. That he'll be compared to David, whose heart was the Lord. And so the issue here is not, well, how much did they sin? Because we're all sinners. But did we did we love the Lord? What, what was the condition of our heart? Because that's always the telltale sign. And I said before, you know, I don't worry so much about every activity you guys are doing. As long as, you know, even when I sometimes maybe see things in your life that, you know, and, and you see the same thing to me, but you see things that I think, well, I don't think that's good. If I know your heart is given over to Christ, that you love him, that your goal, your, your goal is to serve him, we can live with the, the, the fact that we're all sinners, right? And so that's what we have, kind of the thing that we see here. The Lord sees the heart. And so, even in some of these kings who allowed idolatry to go on, they served the Lord. They maybe weren't strong enough to take a stand. And that's how sometimes Christians are, right? You know, sometimes Christians do well, are willing to die for the Lord, to take a stand against something, to to bear the reproach of Christ. As the book of Hebrews says, let us go outside the camp bearing his reproach. That's the call of all Christians. But not all Christians do well. And sometimes we compromise. And sometimes we, uh, well, we're, we worship the Lord. Our hearts are true to the Lord, but we're not willing to make a stand. I think I see a lot of it with family. A lot of Christians that, you know, they love the Lord, but when it comes to their family, they, they cannot say no. And it becomes a problem, as it should. But, you know, so... So it happens, and that's what we see here, that uh, sometimes the kings do really well, but sometimes they don't. So they compare them to Jeroboam and David, because Jeroboam did not have a heart for the Lord, and David did. And, and it's often, as I think it does it here too. <clears throat> yeah, in the verse uh, 4, nevertheless for, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Israel. That is, a lamp is is another euphemism for a family. In other words, he continued to allow the family to continue on for David's sake because he had made a covenant with David, remember? Setting up his sons after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So, you know, David is considered to be a, a very godly man. His heart was given over to Christ. He was a man after, or to God. He was a man after God's own heart. But everybody knew the big sin of David. And so he, they don't hide that. They just say he was a godly man, but he, he fell over here. The Lord saw that. He paid dearly for it as we, we walked through Second Samuel. We, we saw how David paid dearly for his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. Uh, so, the Lord knows that, but he was still a godly man, right? And and so, that's uh, described like that. Just because you maybe have a big, obvious fall in your life doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And so, I think it helps us to stop and, and when we interact with each other, uh, to, to be careful about condemnation because someone falls into maybe a big open sin. 
uh, if they love the Lord, they'll repent of that. They'll, they'll work through that. And uh, just like David, you know, God didn't write David off because David fell. Now, he paid, but God's his judge. So the Lord brought calamity upon David because of that. But he still loved him. He still blessed him. And we don't want to be any more judgmental than than God, right? So let us take that as an example. At some point, we we're gonna all sin. We're we're gonna it's maybe in some cases fall into a, just an obvious sin. And let's not just write each other off. Let's just say, you know what? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, we have our um, our, our testimony service here this afternoon. What do we do? We stand up and we praise the Lord that he saved me in spite of my sin. That I owe everything because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's, you know, that's what our testimony is. And, you know, sometimes people, Christians, because they think they're being holy, someone falls into sin and they write them off and say, well, you know, you, you, you can't ever be, get back to normal. Well, let's be careful about that because if the heart, loves the Lord, they will show that, they will repent, they will work through it, and uh, we want to be there to help and to bring them back, right? Because we're here to encourage people to serve and honor the Lord. We're not here to cut ourselves off from everybody who doesn't cross their T's and dot their I's just right, or who is, uh, you know, has got sin in their life. And so I kind of like the way David is referred to is not whitewashed, but he loved the Lord, and that's what mattered. David also repented, right? So that shows he loved the Lord. See, the problem with Rehoboam and some of these guys is they were idolaters, and they didn't just fall. Well, Solomon fell into idolatry, but it was a at the end of his life, and who knows what was going on there. But David repented of his sin. He didn't just stay in it. He finished well. And uh, so that's how David is brought up, er, er, explained to us. And over in Second Chronicles 13, we get another aspect of Abijam that's not mentioned him. That seems to be a common problem. Uh, they start off better than they, up, and they end up. Abijam is, is seen as a wicked king, and that's kind of all that the book of Kings Relates to us over in Second Chronicles, we find out that uh, uh, Jeroboam had built up uh, Rama, a city of Rama, which was near uh, Jerusalem, was near the border, because over in uh, let me have this written down here for us. Second uh, Corinthians fifteen nine says something interesting. He gathered. Uh, all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted to him from Jerusalem when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. And they were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. Uh, so evidently when Jeroboam took the northern tribes into idolatry, uh, and, and it was apparent that God was blessing Asa, for instance. A lot of people uh, moved down south who maybe weren't there, but the godly ones, the ones who realized that uh, what was going on, said, well, we, we want to live in, in Judah. That's where 
uh, the Lord is blessing them, and they, they seem to be believers to some degree. And so that strengthened Judah and weakened Israel. Well, um, I think during Abijah's time, Jeroboam rebuilds Ramah because he sees, even in his time, people were starting to defect. You know, people went down to Jerusalem to worship three times a year, and he tried to put a stop to that. No doubt people were slowly going down that way. So he sets up a, rebuilds a city in, in the pretext of trying to keep a bigger border there and keep people from defecting, kind of like the Berlin Wall, I guess, in, in a very real sense, of, although there wasn't a wall. And uh, so Abijam uh, sees that, well, yeah, but that's also could be a pretext of invasion, of fortifying yourself near the border. So he attacks and destroys and defeats Rehoboam for doing that. We, we find that out in uh, Second Chronicles. And uh, the interesting thing there is that he calls upon the name of the Lord to help him in his battle against Jeroboam. And because he does that, the Lord graciously gives him the victory over Jeroboam. And then what we read in First Kings takes place. He just is a, he just turns out to be an idolater, and that's the end of it. So he grows strong militarily, but not spiritually. But because of that, the Lord only allows his kingdom to kingship to last for three years, and then that's the end of it. And uh, so, just uh, some interesting things going on there. And I think because we're, it kind of brings us up to verse 9 and Asa, we won't try to get into all that today. Uh, we'll save that for uh, next week. But any, any questions or comments? Pretty, pretty straightforward, I guess. All right, let's bow for a word of prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this uh, time together. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, we understand that, these accounts, uh, details of people's lives, in some cases that are very obscure, kings that only last for uh, a week, three years. Uh, the, the interesting thing that we want to notice is that uh, the only thing that really stands out is whether they served you or not. And Lord, help us to be faithful in the years that you give us. We don't want to be and also ran. You don't want to be like so many. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask these scenes in Jesus' name.